When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Well, we may be coming up on the Independence Day weekend, but we're here talking real money a lot. Almost all the time. Although, I want to warn you, this summer, I am going to take a couple of weeks off. So there will be periods without new podcasts. I'm sorry. We'll be more like a weekly thing. But... In the interim, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff. I'm here for the Q&A session on Friday. Then Tom and I are going to get together on July 2nd, even though you're all going to be out having your long weekend thing. We're going to be there talking real money on the radio in Seattle on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and 97.7 FM. And we'll be taking calls, if anybody actually calls, at 855-935-TALK which is our number 24-7, but you can call it live on Saturdays and get your questions answered on Talking Real Money as we broadcast live and then turn it into a podcast that will air next Tuesday and Wednesday. So give us a call anytime, 855-935-TALK, because we want to answer your questions, and that's why Friday is often, most often, a Q&A session, and we've still got a bunch of Qs to A, starting with this one. Hi, Tom and Don. Love the show. You guys have been great and giving great uh, information. Uh, I had a question regarding your risk tolerance in a time when, uh, as we're seeing now, bonds may not be the exact ballast you were hoping for the equity portion of your portfolio. Is there maybe when you are in this type of environment where you are sort of on the lower yield part of the yield curve for bonds, maybe there's just a lot of potential volatility risk where say you have a 60-40 portfolio, that 40 part of bonds may not really be the safest thing for volatility risk. And maybe you should actually, instead of being 60-40, because the potential for what we're seeing now, where in a bear market, bonds can get hammered at the same time stocks, maybe go 60 stock, 30 bonds, 10 cash. Or maybe because the the bonds in this environment could not be real balance for equities, Maybe making, hey, because bonds can be killed along with stocks, making those stocks more resistant at this time, like adding small cap value. I don't know if there's any, when you're uh, doing portfolio construction in sort of an environment that's like this, where it's potentially rising interest rate, high inflation, where bonds are not going to be the best balance for stocks, if there's any way to mitigate how the riskier bonds in this situation uh, can be offset by adding more small cap value or other types of asset classes such as tips or maybe even REITs. Is there any advice uh, for that? Um, all right. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. But you, you're, you're doing the thing that we do as human beings. We overthink everything. You're overthinking this. They, different securities don't move at similar rates. Stocks, stocks are much, much more volatile 
and will in the future be much, much more volatile than will bonds for a very simple reason. Stocks can go to zero. Bonds can't. Not high-quality bonds. Sure, junk bonds, maybe. But uh, stocks are a whole lot riskier, and therefore, they have a bigger total downside. Everybody in the bond market knows that if you have high-quality U.S. government bonds, in any scenario short of the collapse of the world, your bonds will have value. And the shorter-term bonds should have very good value, even with interest rates falling. Because there's a limit to how low the bond can go. Think about that for a minute. If you have a one-year treasury bill, or is it a note? It's a note at a year. If you have a one-year treasury and it's going to mature in the next few months and its value's down, are you going to sell it or are you going to wait for it to mature? Unless you need the money, you're going to wait for it to mature. You're not going to sell it at a loss. So therefore, there won't be big losses. The market isn't going to mark these things down because nobody's going to sell them to them at dramatically reduced prices. You know, If you've got a $10,000 bond and somebody says, well, I'll give you $8,000 for it and it matures in a few months, you're going to say you're out of your mind. So you need a willing seller to go with every buyer. And so that makes the price a lot higher. Shorter term bonds hold their value really well. There's a rule of thumb, and it is only a rule of thumb, that for every 1% increase in short-term lending rates, the Fed funds rate and the the like, for every 1% increase in that, bond prices fall. But this is really general because it depends on the quality. Bond prices fall by about 1% times their duration. But this is a rule of thumb. Now, I'll use as an example the Von, the Vanguard, the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index, the Vanguard Total Bond Index, the old one, the investor shares, because it has a lot of history. It is, for the year to date, it has lost about total of about 10.5%, which with its income that it was providing is more like 12%. That is actually about twice as bad as one would expect based on the rule of thumb, which can tell you something. It tells you that people are anticipating further interest rate increases and have already built them into the price of the bonds today. They're expecting that rates could go about 1% higher than they are now at the short end about 1%. Therefore, your downside on bonds is limited. As a matter of fact, I'd be willing to bet that if interest rates, the Fed raises interest rates over the next year or so by 1%, that you'll barely see any movement in the total value of the Vanguard total bond market index because people are going to say, well, that's about where we think it's going to end. And, uh, rates will start to stabilize and therefore the higher income provided by these new bonds is going to offset some of those losses over time. There has to be the expectation of dramatically higher rates. And the other issue is that that Vanguard portfolio, half of it, half of it is bonds that mature in less than five years, less than five years. 
So there's very, very little downside on those bonds. Very little downside. You cannot, you cannot suffer the 40 and 50% losses that you might suffer in stocks. You can't in bonds. They can't be as bad because they hold value. They, it's not an apples and apples comparison. You can't go, well, gee, are they going to perform as badly as stocks? No, they never have. Never. Not in the entire history of bond trading, which, by the way, bond trading goes back a long time. Uh, should you say governments? Now, of course, corporate bonds can go away. That's why we don't suggest you own corporates unless it's a small quantity and they're of very high quality. But nope. Stop worrying about that. It is not something you need to worry about. Make sure your portfolio is built properly from the get-go. Don't react, pre-act. Pre-act. Build a portfolio based on the fact that some things in your portfolio are going to go down and others are going to go up at different times. And sometimes they may all go down at once, but Generally speaking, those times have not lasted for very long in the past. And if they do last for a long time into the future, that means we're in a whole heck of a lot more trouble than uh, just our financial situation as a country, as a planet. So don't do anything. If you feel like doing something, don't. As Jack Bogle used to say before he passed away, don't just do something, sit there. You know, it's the opposite of the other thing. Uh, now the rest of our calls are coming in from folks who recorded them at TalkingRealMoney.com. Oh, by the way, thanks so much for the question, and thanks for listening to the show. And now let's take one of those questions. Hi, this is Mary. Thanks to you guys and Paul, I have a 70-30 portfolio that I am very comfortable with. I rebalance it once a year. I will be hitting retirement soon and plan on spending 4% of it a year. Would it be better to sell 4% once a year and drop the proceeds into a money market or spread this out over the year? For example, 2% twice a year or 1% four times a year. It seems like the once a year withdrawal would be sitting in cash funds without an opportunity to grow. Does this make sense? Oh, there's that nasty dual-edged sword again. Uh, and and overthinking. <laughs> We're a lot. Of, we it's it's us. It's what people do. We think too much. Uh, I am a big fan of taking it out at the beginning of the year, whatever the amount is that is going to be my income for the next year. I want to take it out at the beginning of the year and put it in a high yield savings account. And nowadays, those are actually earning a couple of percentage points. I want to put it in there because I want to know what my budget is for the next 12 months. And while you might be missing out on some upside, you're also going to miss out on downside. And with money we need in the very near future, typically we want to reduce the downside on that. As a matter of fact, if we need it within the next year, just like your emergency funds, you want that to have no risk. You want to know that that is going to be there for the next year. So while you could do it the other way and it's not likely to make that much difference, I think in terms of sleeping well at night, the idea of doing it once a year, plus it's an easier discipline. 
than spreading it out over four quarters. I think that idea is better. I prefer it personally. I think it makes more sense based on our very nature, that it's a, it's a higher level of security. We feel comfortable with the next year. And then we plan for the next year, the year after. I hope that makes sense. And thank you for calling. Again, here's another question that came in from TalkingRealMoney.com on Q&A Friday. Hi, Don and Tom. This is Jackie from Seattle. My question is about when you get to the phase of decumulation of retirement. Uh, I've been listening to your show for many years and have been trying to convince my parents to uh, get a fiduciary uh, advisor and to get out of actively managed funds. They've been with the private bank at Wells Fargo for a while, uh, and it sounds like they're probably in actively managed mutual funds. I think I have my opening as their advisor is currently retiring. And after the year that we've had in the market, uh, I think that uh, I get an opening to talk to them more about passively managed assets and potentially going to a fiduciary advisor. My question for you guys is if somebody's in a bunch of different actively managed mutual funds or moving from one advisor to another, you know, does it make sense to simplify to a three fund portfolio or does it make sense to, you know, tax loss harvest out of those accounts? Is it, should it be a stepwise process? I know this is all dependent on your risk tolerance on what equity to bond ratio you should be in and also based on how much money you need at the end of retirement uh, or how much money you need in retirement and how much you need that money to make. Um, but I think general advice about, in general, if you're retired, how do you step through the decumulation part? What are you withdrawing your money from? Which stocks versus bonds? If the year is up or down, um, that'd be great to hear. Thanks. Well, Jackie, um, good for you trying to get your parents into something better. I can assure you that uh, the Wells Fargo private bank people are not always required to act as fiduciaries. They do have programs in which they are acting as fiduciaries, but we don't know what they're in. And uh, I, I, they're so convoluted. These, I, I went through their forms ADV, and they're so convoluted and complicated that it's almost impossible for anyone to read them and know what they're going to be paying. They're, they are about as clear as mud. Um, but I would guess they're paying quite a bit. And I would also guess that they have a relatively complex portfolio because if I remember correctly, the Wells Fargo Private Bank has a seven-figure minimum. So it means they probably have a decent-sized portfolio. There may be some complexity to it. And we're big fans of the three-fund portfolio or the two-fund portfolio or even the one-fund portfolio for accumulators because accumulation is actually the easy part. It's when you get to retirement, you're decumulating, you're taking income, you have to deal with estate issues, you've got a more complex asset base, you want better diversification, you want shifting diversification, you may want some glide pathing. And all of that makes the need for a 100% fiduciary, 100% fee-only advisor. And that's why go to TalkingRealMoney.com. Yes, we're one, but we know we're not the only one. And we actually have a list of several in the Seattle area that you might want to interview for your folks. They might, and you, I would include them in the process. 
because a good 100% fiduciary is going to tell you everything that they charge up front. They're going to be totally honest with you about it. Ask your Wells Fargo private banker what all the fees and expenses and costs are. I bet you they do their darndest to tap dance around the number. I bet they won't give you the number. And if you find anything in there on which there's a commission charge, then you know for a fact they're not always required to act as a fiduciary. So I think what you're doing is a great thing, but in in this case and others like it, you're really to the point where that passively managed advisory service is going to make a heck of a lot of sense. As no matter, and as a matter of fact, uh, uh, there have been a number of studies that have shown that particularly when you get into that decumulation phase, that you're better off financially if you have a good fee-only fiduciary advisor. 100%. 100%. The guys at Wells will tell you they're fiduciaries. Ask them if they're always required to be fiduciaries, as in, do you ever receive commissions from the sale of products? Oh, you do? then you're not a, a fiduciary when you take a commission. Ask hard questions. This is real money we're talking about. Real money. And here's another one that we got from uh, TalkingRealMoney.com. Yes, I was just going to ask about Haynes brand. It's currently at a five-star um, ticker HPI. And I was just wondering what your thoughts would be about that so okay i'll be listening to the podcast thank you bye well thank you very much for the very quick call although i'm going to have to disappoint you because i stopped trying to analyze individual stocks <laughs> how long ago are we approaching about two decades i think we are yeah very 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 long time ago um because i learned you see, this is one of the things about people we learn, and the smart ones among us change when we learn something that uh, actually makes sense and that has evidence. And I learned, based on evidence, that picking stocks and trying to buy undervalued stocks on your own is a fool's game because you're competing with the marketplace, and the marketplace is really good at this. It's really good. You can't know more than the market knows. I can't know more than the market knows. If the pros, and here's the thing, if the pros can't pick stocks and beat the market, there's no chance you and I will be able to. So while some are saying Haynes brand is undervalued, well, much of the market, if not most of the stock market, by many measures is undervalued. By some measures, it's overvalued. But buying individual stocks is way too dangerous. And, and we can use Haynes as an example. If you look back at the past decade, just the past 10 years of Haynes stock price movement, 10 years ago, it was trading at $7 a share. Today, it's at a little over $10 a share. But along the way, in 2015, it was as high as $33 a share. So unless you timed your moves perfectly, you spent 10 years investing for not a whole lot of money. You made some, but the risks are that any individual company, and I don't care how big or good they are, can fall flat on their face and go bankrupt. But the market cannot. That's why we suggest 
investing in the market, not individual stocks. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Now let's take our last question for the day. Not a call. It was a yeah, kind of a call. Let's take our last question of the day. This one also came in through TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Tom and Don. My name's Eric. I have two questions today. The first question is about ETFs versus mutual funds. A few years ago, I moved my Roth IRA from T. Rowe Price, a small cap value fund, over to M1 Finance, uh, kind of a robo-investor, and I bought the AVUV ETF. Um, I, I was pretty comfortable investing with what felt like a brick-and-mortar company um, in an established mutual fund, and uh, I can't help but wonder if now I've increased my counterparty risk by going with, with a robo-investor and an ETF. I, I understand some of the differences between ETF and mutual fund, but I've got this lingering feeling that I have increased my risk factor. Is that reasonable? Um, second question, I was on your website and I did the risk quiz. I scored uh, 69th, the Vestry website, uh, risk quiz. The problem is I can't find any way to use that number. I, I see no portfolio examples or or any way to relate that to, to something that I can use. Could you point me at some way to use that score? Um, and then lastly, I wanted to say that I, I did a free consultation with Vestry about a year ago. Uh, shout out to Der Derek Job, He was fantastic. And uh, I think it's a great company, and, and I'm looking forward to working with you guys in the future. Okay, thanks. Oh, Eric, I can't tell you how long it took for both Tom and me to become convinced that ETFs had what it takes to survive and thrive. We had worries. A lot of people did. So we were hesitant to move from mutual funds to ETFs because we're talking about something so serious, and that is your money. We don't like to lightly go into anything anymore. I can't say that we never did because we were all once young, but we take this very seriously now. And the fact of the matter is you are, if you use an index or passive or evidence-based management or rules-based management or something, um, you're, you're just as safe. There are securities backing those up. They are held. They're 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 actually in a uh, an account. So you have the securities that back it up. It's a really sound system. That's why we've seen companies like Dimensional and Vanguard and you know Dimensional was very reticent to do this, and they're doing it now in a big way. Uh, Vanguard was slow to adopt ETFs, and now they do them in a big way. So everybody has gotten on the bandwagon because they have proven themselves to be comparable to mutual funds. That means, is there anything in this world that's that's 100% safe? No. But are they comparably safe? Yeah, with a high degree of certainty, I can say that. A high degree. Because most of my money is now in ETFs, and it wasn't for a long time. I was almost entirely in mutual funds. So I'm comfortable. You should be comfortable. As for your risk quiz, that is contracted out for us. So it, could it be easier to read? I mean, I really like the risk quizzes. Could it be easier to read, though? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I went and pulled yours up, actually, because I have access to all of them. Yep, and I see your 69 right here, which is at the top of the report. 
But if you scroll down past the questions, they have a list of the questions, questions 1 through 20. Just below that, on the second page, it says connecting your score to a portfolio. And that paragraph is how you determine about where your portfolio should be invested. It says, quote, you scored 69 out of 100 for this risk tolerance report. Based on your risk tolerance, the matching portfolio is 70% global equities, 30% intermediate U.S. bonds. And then, you know, it says, however, before you commit, you should consider other factors, et cetera, et cetera. But so in your case, you're about a 70-30 based on that score. And the score... If you're right around 70, you're 70, 30. If you're right around 60, you're 60, 40. So it does correlate somewhat, but it is there. It's just not there in a chart, which I wish it was, but we can't change the design because we pay somebody else for this and um, we really liked it. We looked at all of them and we really, really liked the, this, this particular product. Thank you so much for your questions, all of you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for sharing it with people. Please do a lot of that over the holidays, the summer holidays. And, you know, when you're in among family and friends, say, you want help with money? Tom and Don. Listen to Tom and Don. Because really, there aren't, there's no way too many people can listen. The more who listen, the better off we will all be. And maybe someday we can make honest investing advice, the rule as opposed to the exception. So again, thanks for being there. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, Eric, thanks for the nice comments about Vestry. If you'd like to meet with one of our advisors, as Eric said, it's just really easy and there's no pressure. There's no sales pitch. There's no nothing. You just go to Vestry.com and set up an appointment and we'll help. We, we promise to help everybody. Now, again, we will not manage your portfolio for free. That would be like going to a lawyer and saying, can you do all my legal work for free? Or a doctor saying, you going to do all my health work for free? You know, they can't do that. Or going to a restaurant saying, you're just going to feed me for free, right? No. But they might give you a taste. And, you know, good ones will provide you with a little help if they're able when they can. And we're able, we can. So go to vestry.com and set up a free appointment with one of our advisors no high-pressure sales pitch. Thanks for listening. Keep listening. If you want to call us live, you can call us on Saturdays between 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. I'm Don McDonald, talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?